This is the Shoot Once Podcast. I'm Frank Walker. Welcome to a new episode of the Shoot Once Podcast, a proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network. Do appreciate you joining us again today for a new episode and, and just do, pre- do appreciate you having the uh, patience with us to wait through a day because last night's game went late and so I wasn't able to get the show going in time. So do appreciate you listening today. I do want to remind everyone uh, about the cool contest we've got going in conjunction with Tankathon and Cool Hockey. Uh, simply go to our Twitter site, uh, our, my Twitter page, at ShootOncePod, and you'll see the, the Twitter link there. Essentially what you do uh, to enter the, pod, the the contest, you visit tankathon.com slash NHL, you slim the lottery, you screenshot the 15-team outcome you'd like to submit, uh, and you pe- post your entry under the uh, in the response to the tweet and retweet it. Um, to qualify, you need to follow the at HockeyPodNet, at Tankathon, and at CoolHockey, so that all three, all three, uh, net, all three Twitter accounts can see you there. Um, all entries must be submitted by April eighth at eleven fifty nine p.m. And remember to keep in mind that what we're shooting for here is for you to go fifteen of fifteen, is for you to be right, not just random, but you want to be right. So, if you want to wait till later in the season, makes sense to get your information all lined up there. Uh, but yeah, and then if there's ties, there will be a random drawing for the winner there. Now, jumping into the show proper, over, uh, certainly like we always do with Dom Lashusian's projections, these should be pretty accurate for the Blue Jackets, as only one game has happened since then. It was the Florida, pa- excuse me, Florida Panthers game. He's got the Blue Jackets at a 24% chance to make the playoffs, ending the season at 92.1% uh, chance to make the playoffs. And a and he's got them projected the figure with ninety two point one points twenty four percent ninety two point one points. Looking at the standings because this is where everything's really getting. We're getting into the gritty bit of the schedule here, folks. Um, the Blue Jackets have done twelve games to go. We're there at a disadvantage. There are teams all around them who have three more games to play than them. So I mean, it's it's going to be tricky. What it's really coming down to, uh, I mean, looking at this, looking at how things are shaping up. There's two spots, and it looks like roughly five teams still competing for them. And when we're talking about the wild card here, you got Columbus with 81 points. You got Carolina with 79 points. The Islanders with 79 points. Now, where it gets tricky is Florida's at 78, and the Rangers are at 76. So the Rangers are kind of on the outside, but that 76, they're still conceivably with a good run. They could get right in there. And with Florida at 78, what's possible is if they jump the Maple Leafs, they could drop the Maple Leafs down into the wild card. So, I, I mean, at this point, what we're at is essentially there are there's going to be three teams who could who right now look at it and go, we could make the playoffs that won't make it. If everything started today, uh, you'd have a first round matchup. Columbus would match up against Washington, which would be you know fun just to be in the playoffs. Uh, Philadelphia would play Pittsburgh in the first round, which would be great. Boston would get Carolina. Tampa would get Toronto. So it, we're in that 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 time frame where everything's going to be getting crazy. Um, I mean, the Blue Jackets, where it's tricky is they've only got a two-point cushion, but right now the Islanders, which are the team out, has three games in hand on the Blue Jackets. And it... it 
it's going to be a tricky run, no matter which way you go about it. Now, Columbus, in the coming week, um, that's a couple of games come up. Now, this is where we start to see where other teams are going to actually get close to Blue Jackets and games played, because the Blue Jackets, they last played on Sunday. They won't play again until Thursday, where they get Pittsburgh, and then Saturday they get Nashville. The next week is going to be huge for what happens. Um, Boston... Washington, the Maple Leafs. So much of this is condensed in the final couple weeks of the season. I mean, it, in the final weeks, they play, you know, the final two weeks of the season, they'll play the Rangers, they'll play Tampa Bay, they'll play the Stars, then they play, they'll play the Islanders, Tampa Bay, and the Hurricanes. Hurricanes, that final game of the season. I, What's going to be crazy is it could conceivably be that going into that final game of the season, that the Blue Jackets have to win that game uh, I mean wouldn't that be crazy to get down to like a, a essentially the winner of that game makes it and the other one doesn't that'd be nuts but the good news as a Blue Jackets fan and we've talked about this old truism on, on the show many times I'm not sure how true it is but we've talked about it many times about how if you're playing well if you're winning games but you're not playing well it looks like you're at the end of a winning streak and you could be heading into a losing streak but if you've been losing and you're starting to play well, maybe that's the beginning of a winning streak. Well, the last three games for the Blue Jackets. Let's look at these. Uh, against the Flames, they had a Corsi 4 of 47.95%. Now, again, all these numbers are 5 on 5, score and venue adjusted from natural stat trick. So 47.95, not great. Then against the Oilers, they were 60.1%. And then against the Canucks, 55%. When you go to expected goals 4, Against the Flames, 55.19%. Against the Oilers, 67.95%. And against the Canucks, 58.31%. So we're on a streak of three games. We were on the road playing good teams and played well. And for the Blue Jackets, that is a, that's a good sign. That is a very good sign for where we're heading. Because heading into these final games, into this final run, the team looks like they are playing their game well and you you can see it just eye test watching most of these games they are playing well uh, I mean against the Flames man that game was rough because they, they really had a chance to put it away and get two points there but they only got the one that one point may come back and haunt them but I mean honestly if going into last week I, I, the thing is after the, the Flames game and after the Oilers game so many of us were counting them out but if you looked at that schedule, especially with all three of those teams competing for playoff spots, and you said the Blue Jackets will get three out of six, that's not bad. That's really not bad with where they were, especially considering how much the other teams around them have just not not taken advantage of, of the situation. Because when you look at it, when you, when you look at the last ten, for these teams. So looking at who they're going against. The Hurricanes are 4-4-2 four, four, in their last 10. So that's 10 points. The Blue Jackets have 9 in their last 10. The Islanders are 2-5-3. The Rangers are 6-4, so they're kind of on the higher end of that. Um, but the Panthers, they're 4-4-2. Four, four, so nobody's really running away with this right now. I mean, the reason the Flyers have gotten to that point where it looks like they're challenging for the division is they've gone 9-1 and one in their last 10. They're on a 9-game winning streak, which is nuts. 
Now, the thing is, when you're on a big, long streak like that, it's going to peter out. Um, and that's where the Blue Jackets will be concerned about the Islanders because they're on a six-game losing streak. So the Islanders are going to get a win at some point here coming up. The Jackets, maybe maybe this is when they put together a winning streak. I mean, this is the time of year where if you could put together six or seven in a row, maybe even just five, you might secure yourself a playoff spot. I mean, if they went on a five-game winning streak now, right, essentially that'd be four more wins after the one they're on now. That'd get them up to 89 points. Um, I mean, they'd, they'd be they'd be pretty far along. They'd have a really good chance of making it on that. So so we'll see what happens. But I'm, I'm encouraged that the Blue Jackets seem to be playing their best hockey right now. Now, they need to because we're playing some of our best opponents at this point. But I'm, I'm encouraged by what I'm seeing uh, out of the team game to game these last these last few games here now gonna do a hot take um not something i normally do not something that's my uh my normal thing to do but we're down to the last 12 games for the first time in a long time looks like we've got both goalies healthy so you gotta ask yourself where do we go with goalies because we could play Elvis, we could play Jonas, we could try and split the difference between the two, um, and just go down the middle here. Now, let's talk about the two goalies, Elvis and Jonas. Elvis has played 32 games, Jonas has played 37. Now, we are all into fancy stats at this point, and these numbers are all five on five. These are all even strength numbers. Elvis, when it comes to goals saved above average... He's at a 3.69, or he's at a 9.1. Jonas is at a 3.69. When you look at how many goals he saved above what was expected for Elvis, he's at a 0.96, so he's in the positive. Jonas is a negative 3.89, meaning of the quality of shots he saw, Jonas Corposalo saved less than what he should have. Elvis has saved more. And, and again, we're not talking about one guy having a small sample size and the other guy having large. One's played 32 games, one's played 37. With the idea that, you know, somebody was injured at some point in there, I mean, they've, and, and that for in the early part of the season, Jonas was kind of the guy. They really, really kind of kind of made it work. Um, Elvis's 5 on 5 save percentage is 92.88. Jonas's is 92.14. Um, so it's, I, I think you make the decision to see, I, I think you stick with Elvis down the stretch a little more. I think if you have to make the decision leaning one way or the other. Now, the great thing about having the, both these goalies is, if you have back-to-backs, that's easy. You just do a back-to-back. Um, you know, you can split them up and do one one night, one the other. But for the record at this point, I am leaning towards Elvis being the goalie you want to use full-time. Now, is that going to hold? I don't know. You just don't, I mean, you know, maybe things will change, maybe not, but we'll see where it goes. But that's where I would stand at this point. Uh, something else I want to talk about on tonight's show. So there's been a lot of talk on Blue Jackets Twitter and all that about what do we do with, uh, about the ice time certain guys are getting. And I see it a lot talked about with Alexander Wenberg. A lot of people don't like Wenberg, and I get it. Wenberg is the constant, you know, disappointment and that you want him to be good offensively, and he never is. He's not terrible, but he's just, he, he's not he's not growing offense for you. Yeah. So I came up with this silly idea that I'm probably going to have to refine over time. 
but I'm calling it my ice time index. And essentially what my process is, and my numbers came from uh, the good folks at Natural Stat Trick. It's five on five. Um, now they don't do score and venue adjusted for individual guys, but it's five on five. It's the relative numbers. And what relative numbers are, if you're not familiar, essentially what you're doing is like if you were looking at Corsi, which Corsi is just take the numbers of shots for, the numbers of shots against, and you know if you have more shots for when you're on the ice than against, that means your Corsi is better. Well, what the relative number does is it tries to say, okay, well, you've got a 54% Corsi, but your team is always at 52 and I'm just making this real simple. So your relative course is like plus 2%. Because the idea is that this is how much better you do than just the rest of the team when they're on the ice. Or theoretically, you could be in the negative if you do worse than the rest of the team. So we compared a couple of different numbers. What I did, because this season a lot on the show, we've been talking about expected goals for. And the reason we're using that number a lot is, to my understanding, that's what the, that's what the organization really values, is, is expected goals. And they... When Tortorella talks about it, he talks about chances they get. He talks about how much they outchance the other team. And from my expectation, because I've heard I've heard different people in the organization talk about it in interviews, they never give too much detail. But I've heard them talk about it in terms of, you know, well, it's kind of tricky because we all had to get on the same page about what was a scoring chance and all this. So I, I get the idea that a scoring chance for them is something that has a relatively decent expected goals for a percentage. Uh, so what I did... Looked at the numbers and I just ranked the players, uh, ranked the forwards, and my my idea on this was you had to have uh, at least two hundred minutes ice time, so that if one guy came in for two or three games, I'm looking at you, Mister Foodie, uh, and just tore it up. He wouldn't throw the numbers off. But essentially, what this is, if you have over two hundred minutes, five on five time, took how you ranked on the team and expected goals for. The reason I didn't use the raw number and I did a ranking is that we ranked where you ranked on the team with expected goals for with where you ranked in average time on ice per game uh, with the team. And just did a simple, took where you ranked expected goals for, subtracted where you ranked in the expected ice time. The idea being, so if you were the number one player on the team in expected goals for a relative and you were the number one player in time on ice at five on five, one minus one is zero. The idea being that if you got a zero, then you are right where you need to be. You you are being used as you should be. Um, if you got a negative number, meaning your expected goals for is, say your expected goals for is 10th, but you're third on the team in ice time. Well, 10 minus 3 is 7. If you get a plus 7, that means you are way overused. If you get a negative number, meaning you're third in the team in expected goals for, but you're 10th in, in ice time, well, 3 minus 10 is negative 7. So that means you are underutilized to a large number. So let's talk about the guys who are perfect. Oliver Bjorkstrand, in that his time on ice, he was the first in expected goals for relative per 60. And he is also number one on ice time in average. Which is perfect. I mean, that just fits what we know about Oliver Bjorkstrand. He's a great. I think he's a great player. I think he is a budding superstar on this team, and he's being used because he's great. The other, the, the next player that is actually oddly surprising, is at the next zero, meaning 
their expected goals for and their ice time matchup perfectly is Alexander Wenberg. He is eighth on this list in both categories. His expected goals for relative percent. Uh, I want to say, where was he at? He was at negative 0.34. He is the first guy to be on the negative side, which that tells you how much this team struggles offensively when we have 15 guys deep on this list on my side. But by number eight, we're getting into the negatives. Theoretically, you'd want at least half your guys or more to be in the positive, but we're not even to half. But he's also got the eighth most ice time on average at five on five. So over the course of a season his ice time matches what his productivity is. Now, on a, grand, on a given game, you could probably argue plenty of times. But over the season, that's pretty accurate. And the only other zero is the 15th. So it's funny that we have, like, the top guy, the middle guy, and the last guy, and that's Jacob Lilia. Uh, Jacob Lilia is not great. Uh, a negative 7, uh, 0.1. But his time on ice is 9 minutes and 43 seconds per game. So it's not great. Um... Guys who we think are underutilized on this team. Because there's some guys that are real close, like Pierre-Luc Dubois. He's second in the team in expected goals for relative per 60. His ice time is third. So that's only a negative one. Meaning it's, you know, he's a little underutilized, but you can see where when that lines up with, you know, you only have so many wingers, so many forwards, all that on the ice. It, it You know, guys are coming on, coming off. Maybe that's not too bad. Like, in my mind, if you were in the negative... I think the I think the range of error you're willing to give it is up to three. The reason being is that's where a line change comes in. You have three guys on a line. So if you're underutilized but you're on a line that they think works, then say you're the say you're the best in ice time or the best in expected goals for, but you're fourth in ice time. Maybe you're just on a line that they play less. So I, I'm willing to give you kind of some wiggle room up to about a three. Um, some other guys who line up real well, Nick Foligno, fourth in expected goals for second in ice time. Um, one guy that lined up really strange, Nathan Gerby, fifth in expected goals for relative per 60, uh, seventh in ice time. So those guys aren't aren't too bad there. Um, the uh, Who was it? Alexander Tessier. He was 13th in expected goals for relative to per 60, but his ice time was only 10th. So he was in that three range. That's not bad. I mean, these are some guys where it's like, okay, that's not too bad. Who else do we have? Um, uh, Bemstrom, he was a negative three. He was ninth in expected goals for per 60, but only 12th in ice time. So that's not too bad. Now let's get into the guys who are, where they need to be used differently. Robinson. Eric Robinson. This surprised me when I looked at it. His expected goals for relative per 60. Now, he's a little lower sample size than a lot of the other guys, so maybe he's getting away with something. He's still got over 500 minutes played, so it's not like he's nothing on this list. Eric Stenland is a 3.32 expected goals for relative, which is... Expected goals for percent relative. That's his expected goals for percent. All the numbers I've said are percentages, so I apologize if I messed that up. But 3.32, meaning whatever his expected goals for percentages with the average average for the team, he's 3% higher than that. Eric Robinson is 13th in ice time. So that's a negative 10. 
meaning he's being underutilized to the tenth. I mean, that's that's rough. He is at a 3.32 expected goals for relative. His time on ice average is 10 minutes a game. I mean, that puts him in the just the bottoms of the team when it comes to expected goals for, or expected time on ice for. So that's that's the big one there. The next big one, this one I'm going to give a mulligan on because it's Josh Anderson. His expected goals for for the team is at sixth. His ice time is ninth. Um, I, I did that math wrong because that's only a negative three. That's not bad at all. That's right where the line where it's where it should be, but again in that in that range of error. But he's been injured, so that was that was me doing my math wrong. Here's some of the big ones, and, and some of these are going to get some pushback, I think, from from longtime Blue Jackets fans. First of all, let me give you the Mulligan one first, because there's another one that's a Mulligan in my mind. Cam Atkinson, and the reason he's a Mulligan in my mind is because of how much injury he's been dealing with. But his expected goals, his expected goals for um, relative here has been a negative 3.2 this season. But when he's played, he's been sixth highest average time on ice. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you want to see him play better. And maybe that's what it's been. Maybe it's been an effort to get him to play better. But that puts him in on the index at eight. I'll tell you who that's been. Boone Jenner is a big one. Expected goals for relative per 60. And again, these are even these are five on five guys. So for people who are saying, well, he plays a lot of penalty kills, so that should, that hurts his number. This is all five on five. He's 12th in the team, but he's fourth in ice time. So that puts him at an eight. And then the last big one. Is a player that, and this is the one where, again, maybe I need to refine my system, or maybe the system's trying to tell me to look for other things. But it's Gustav Nyquist, who was 11th in the game in the team and expected goals for relative to per 60, but fifth in ice time, which would give me a score of six on him. So now this this is something that I will hopefully evolve over time. I kind of like the idea of doing something like this, where it kind of tells us, it kind of gives me an idea of, okay, is this player being utilized as much as he should be? Is he a little under? What's my eye test telling me? What is my my gut telling me? Because some of these just make sense. Bjorkstrand, PLD, um, being at the top, that makes sense to me. Nick Foligno, I'm good with that. Nathan Gerby, I'm good with that. Um, Bemstrom, I, I f- he's negative three, which makes me feel like he could be a little better utilized. It feels like he has been over the previous games. Um I do think Jenner's probably overplayed because Jenner, I like Boone Jenner. I like him as a player. He plays hard, but he doesn't seem to make a lot of chances. It seems like when he scores a goal, it's because he just threw it at the net and he got lucky. Nyquist, Nyquist is the one where I've really got to think through when I'm when I'm looking at this. Maybe maybe I'll watch games differently if I'm like, okay, is he really generating chances or what's he doing? Because it seems like Nyquist does a lot of stuff to keep the puck in the zone, and and I don't know. I'll have to watch the games different, see what's going on. See if what I'm putting together here is broken, or if what I'm seeing on the ice, if I'm if I'm misrepresenting it in my own mind as I see it. So that's where I'm seeing at there. Um, but that's 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 a fun system I like. Hopefully we see. Hopefully I can get more of that in as the season progresses, and I really want to refine it going in the next season a little bit. Um, there was an interesting story out of the Athletic that apparently there was a trade on the table 
right at the deadline. That would have been Vinny Trocheck. There would have been Vincent Trocheck from Florida for Josh Anderson. And from what we understand, it was straight up. It could have been. It may not have been. And that the Blue Jackets rejected it. If that is true, because we had, this is the only place we've heard it at, was an article from The Athletic, and it was actually written by somebody who tends to write about the Canucks, so maybe he heard it through the grapevine. I don't know. If it's true, it makes me think that the Blue Jackets really think they can re-sign Josh Anderson. That's the only thing I can think. Because Vincent Trocheck, you would have had this year, and then two more years. He's a center who has had 30 goal seasons, and he's not an old guy. You got him for a couple more years. You might even be able to get an extension if you wanted it. But that makes me think either the Blue Jackets think they'll be able to get more for Josh Anderson in the offseason, which would be impressive, or they think they can, they can, they think they can sign him long term. And they'll get more than two years. Because the, the thing about it that makes me say they must have been very confident in their ability to sign Josh Anderson is that Vinny Trocek on this team. I mean, this year maybe the team gets into the playoffs. That'd be great. But next year with this team being healthy, I mean, you have a top line of Bjorkstrand, PLD, and, and I guess maybe Cam. That second line, you're looking at... Um. You're looking at doing some, some, I don't know, you're looking at, it, well, I guess, no, I think Bjorkstrand and Cam play on the same side, but, I mean, that would give you a top line with PLD and Bjork on one, and then that second line, you could do Bemstrom or Cam and, and Trocek, and you're, you're going to have really deep lines all of a sudden. I, I, I mean, you're really setting yourself up for a lot of success in the next two years, so that's got to be what I think on that. I mean, it's just, that's the only thing that makes sense to me, so. All right, guys. Well, if you're looking for cool hockey gear, cool jerseys, all that good stuff, great place to check out is coolhockey.com. They're an affiliate here of us with the Hockey Podcast Network. Right now, you can go to coolhockey.com slash THPN, as in the Hockey Podcast Network, coolhockey.com slash THPN, and use code THPN for 30% off your purchase. So, hey, check that out. Get some cool gear for, for gearing up for the playoffs or whatever you're hopefully, – hopefully the playoffs here for us. Um, as we jump into the rest of the uh, kind of some league-wide stuff that's a little different. And we're jumping into uh, COVID-19, what is colloquially known at this point as the coronavirus, but the official designation COVID-19, how it's affecting the hockey world. We got the announcement, I think, just a day or two ago. And today, there was this joint statement from the NHL, the NBA, Major League Soccer, and... Uh, I feel like there's a fourth league in there, baseball, that said they were baseball, basketball, hockey, and soccer, who said they were not going to allow media into the locker rooms. Now, this decision has been met by the media with anger and consternation, which, eh, get over yourselves at this point. They're still doing, like, press conference setups, which I guess, you know, it's not as direct stuff, but if the, the NHL has said it's a temporary measure, um... If you are, and, and some people have said, well, if you're doing this, if you're that concerned about the players, you're, you're still having games with thousands of people in the building. This is my thought on what the teams may be thinking. 
And this is me making a, a, an argument for why it would make sense to do it this way. The team see a concern about the players getting ill. Because I think the teams are already making contingencies for the idea that they will play, they will play games in stadiums with nobody in them. I don't think they like the idea, but I think they're making the contingency plan. But the problem is, if all the players start getting sick, then there's no one to even play the games. And I think what teams are trying to talk themselves into, or maybe they already have this planned out, is to essentially, maybe they've got enough of their players buying in that they think the players will sequester themselves on the road. And when they, and when they get back to their cities, they'll just go home. And that they can kind of control the players' interactions with with the general public. Which in hockey you specifically can't because you literally have glass between them and the players. Um, so you can minimize how much they can do, the interaction that can happen there directly. When you're talking about reporters, you're talking about a lot of people, a group of people who very consistently are getting on airplanes flying with just general commercial airlines doing all that kind of stuff just really mixing with lots of different people and so it might increase the risk that players get sick I mean it might be something where the NHL is saying we are going with a foregone conclusion that we may have to play in, in empty arenas but if we can keep the players healthy then we can still play and put games on TV and that sort of thing and that's the only way it makes sense to me because it, it, if it's just about oh we gotta stop the virus altogether you try and do some other things that being said, we're getting some interesting stuff tonight where uh, the Santa Clara County in California is putting in a ban that they said they will enforce by, as they need to with their sheriff's department, on gatherings over 1,000 people. Now, there was some confusion earlier in the night. Uh, apparently, there, the original article said the SAP Center was canceling all events for the rest of March. Um, now that's being walked back a little bit and saying things are being evaluated as they go. So we'll see. Um, but it sounds like there might not be Sharks home games. But we don't know. We just don't know for certain. Now that gets tricky. Um, I mean, if there's no Sharks home games, if you're the Sharks, what do you do? Do you play at home? Do you just, do you just play at home and play to an empty arena? Um... I saw somebody floated the idea that the that different arenas were trying to prepare to be like neutral site games, which I mean, if you're the NHL, do you try and find a list of rinks in different places that can seat a decent amount of people where if you if in three you know, on two day two or three days notice you say, Hey, we're just selling every ticket in the building's general admission for ten bucks and we're gonna sell hot dogs and soda and popcorn just to try and get something out of it, you could. Now the question becomes, are you getting enough out of it to satisfy your TV partners who now have to try and go and broadcast from a new location and set all that up? I don't know. Um, I mean, right now you're talking about it for one team. I don't know what you do. Uh, now there's, from what I understand, there's some junior rinks in Canada and there's, I mean, even where the Sharks are right now, I mean, if they could just get... I'm not sure who else would have ice and be able to be ready to go on that short of notice unless you had smaller rinks that were willing to do it. But if you're the Sharks, you have to ask the question of do we try and play in... Do we just play in nothing or do we try and recoup something? 
So we'll see where that goes. Last story tonight, uh, PGA, the Professional Golfers Association, they announced a new media rights deal, which sees their money increase like crazy. Why are we talking about this? Because it seems to me, it seems to be an interesting barometer for the NHL. Um, and that the NHL's rights deal, the last year with NBC is next year. So they still have, uh, yeah, the next year's, ne- last year, the last year of their deal. Let me pull it up here because the, the sports business journals write up on it was nice in that it kind of had a little, I think it did if I didn't see the wrong article there. Maybe I did. I thought they had a little setup that showed when everybody was expiring. But, yeah, the NHL expires next year. And the PGA did kind of what was expected of them, which was re-signed with CBS, re-signed with NBC and whatnot, and, and add some stuff for ESPN+. This led me to start looking into, okay, what's the next media rights deal going to mean for the, the NHL? And it seems like kind of the consensus is that NBC will do what it can to hang on to the main stuff. But I started, you know, a lot of people talking about ESPN trying to get involved. The surprise when I saw was either CBS or Fox trying to get involved. Um, and even saw one where it was essentially N- NBC would take like a chunk of it and try and be like the main tentpole and they would have the Stanley Cup still. But then that Fox and ESPN would then also each carry smaller packages. I would be on board with almost any of those options. The only option I do not want is the status quo. I want to see the NHL get on at least a second network. Why do I say that? The more I've looked at it, people have, I've seen a lot of people talk about how great NBC has been to the NHL. I don't, I don't see it that same way. The games themselves are pretty good as far as how they produce it. But again, the only NHL content they make is the game and the pre and the post game show. They do nothing to build it up through the day. When you watch networks like ESPN or when you watch networks like Fox and they do all their sports programming throughout the day, they specifically are doing it with the context of we are building up a sports conversation, a sports agenda for the day. And nobody is getting the NHL on that agenda. If you can get on ESPN, if you can get a substantial bit of ESPN or Fox to start pushing you, you're going to grow the game some because people are going to hear about you and hear you talked about. In my world, what a perfect view of this is is you have something where, say, you know, come, uh, essentially you can get a deal where it's NBC still your primary people. They're going to have most of your stuff, and they're going to have your 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 Stanley Cup final. And then you either get ESPN, Fox, CBS, or some combination of the two uh, to take on either a game of the week themselves, maybe if you're talking ESPN, maybe they do a... Uh, maybe they do a game on ABC once a week, then do an ESPN game of the week and get, you know, so, so kind of split that up or maybe ESPN takes a game of the week and Fox has one national game and then CBS or that NBC has their deals. And then come playoff time, you have NBC. If you were divided up into two networks, how I would do it is you have NBC in one year, get say the Atlantic and the central divisions for the playoffs. And then the other network, ESPN in this situation, we'll just say for the sake of argument, gets the Metro and the Pacific. Then the next year, you flip them. And if we go to that one crazy scenario like I talked about where NBC steal your tentpole and then the other one split by, say, Fox and ESPN, 
then NBC would get the Atlantic and the Central, and then either you know ESPN gets say the Metro, and then Fox gets the Pacific, and then you just rotate those divisions around for the playoffs, culminating in you know people getting the the Eastern or Western Conference final, and then you get the uh, you get the the Stanley Cup final still on NBC. But there's just ways to grow the game, and and maybe if you're the NHL, if NBC comes and says no, we still want it all, then I would play hardball and talk about how you need more through the week. You need more things to, to push your brand throughout the week because there's just not enough in my mind. There's just not enough there. So do want to thank everybody for listening. Thanks for tuning in again. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Next game, I, I think next time I talk to you, there still won't have been a game yet because I think it's Thursday's the next one. So my goodness. But thanks for listening, everybody, and go Jackets. <laughs> This has been the Shoot Once Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Shoot Once Pod.